Welcome to the Talking Story Podcast, where we believe all of us can have a more purposeful and meaningful, and yes, an even more exciting life. Listen in to inspiring stories about ordinary people who have done extraordinary things with their lives, through their hobbies, their passions, and their businesses. Join your hosts, father and daughter team, Bob and Kelsey, as they travel the world seeking out those whose stories inspire us to do things greater than what we imagined we could. Well, Kelsey, as you know, as your dad, you cannot remember a single time where I did not uh, keep up an exercise regimen. I'm not doing that to pat myself on the back, but it's something I started in college and, uh, and haven't even taken a full month off in that entire time. Um, but one thing I like, if I'm going to exercise, I want to jog and I want to be outside. I do not like to exercise on ellipticals and treadmills. I do do it, but it's usually when the weather is bitter cold. In February of 2020, I am back in Colorado and I'm, and it is, it is one of those days I took a, a, a picture on my phone of the weather when I woke up and it was five degrees and there was no way I was going out running. As much as I hate it, I was on the treadmill uh, that day. But on the good side of the coin, as much as I don't like exercising on a treadmill, I've, I, I, that particular day that I'm thinking of, I listened to Jenny from Mabasa, Kenya, who were about to go into the interview you had with her. And, uh, and not only did I find a fascinating young lady, I, I found a very similarly minded young lady to you. In fact, there are times I thought I was listening to you when it was actually her because your voice even is very much the same. But you got to interview her. Uh, I wasn't in on this interview. Uh, at the same time, what, what um, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, she, her entrepreneurial spirit, et cetera, that I know you resonated with. But uh, what, what was one of those big, you know, aha moments? Well, I think I found my twin. Yeah. Let's yeah. just say that. So, Jenny, I know you're listening, and I know we haven't met face-to-face, but my dad is so right in the fact that I've listened to your podcast. And by the way, for our listeners, it's called The Moxie Podcast. Is her podcast, and I've really enjoyed it as well. I've been a avid listener now for a, a few weeks since I found Amani Collective, which is the business in which she founded. And it's the same thing. I'm like, oh my goodness, like our heartbeats are the same, or at least very, very similar. Her podcast uh, mantra, I guess, is talking to ordinary people doing courageous things. Yeah, which we, we she didn't steal from us and we didn't steal from her. I know. But again, it's so similar. I thought, oh my, I think God, it must be stirring something. And here's, you know, I'm in Hawaii and then she's on the opposite side of the world in Mombasa, Kenya. And, and God's talking to both of us about this idea of that it can just be someone so simple as me, and I'm sure she would say so simple as herself to start to act courageously and do things and shake things and make things happen to where other people are impacted in a positive way. And that's really what drew me to her 
business, Amani Collective. Uh, I was really, it was an honor to interview her. I'm really excited for you as a listener to get to know who she is. Um, I just feel like, yeah, she is just one of those people that she's going to be all of our friends by the time this interview is done. She's just real. She really, in her podcast, uh, emphasizes the word authentic. And I really appreciate that about her because it's easy, especially in this day and age, to be someone you're not because you can post anything on social media and make it seem like you have the best life and all is well and life is perfect. And in reality, it's not. And I really love the fact that she creates space for the people she interviews to be authentic. Let's be real here. What's what's hard about what you're doing? Um, she interviews people that work for her at Imani Collective in Mombasa. Um, she interviews people who have come to intern for her. And she interviews other people who are just doing awesome things in her community. And then she now is starting to travel outside of Kenya with her microphone, as do I, and starting to gather stories for her podcast um, in other parts of the world. So that's a really cool thing about her. I told her because uh, you guys have a little Airbnb here on the Big Island. And I said, hey, you guys are welcome anytime to come over to the Big Island. And she said, you know what's crazy is my I think she said it was her mother-in-law lives on the east side of the Big Island. And so they're planning on coming over in 2021. And I said, well, that's funny because I'm planning to come back to Kenya in 2021. So I said, as long as we're not like yeah, yeah, flying, yeah, make sure you're not missing each other, <laughs> crossing each other in the air. I think uh, we're going to be meeting each other face to face here soon. So, but anyways, uh, folks, listeners to the Talking Story podcast, thanks for being here, by the way, because it is a Monday. And we really just hope that you enjoy our conversation with Jenny. Excited to be here with Jenny from Amani Collective. Um, Jenny, thanks for being with us. You guys, you're from Kenya, and you're, that's where you're coming from right now is Mombasa. Uh, okay. Welcome to the Talking Story Podcast. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh. I have been so looking forward to chatting with you and getting to know you. So really what's happening right now is listeners, you are going to get to know this Jenny um, the same time I'm getting to know her. So we have decided to really meet each other for the first time on the podcast, although I've done so much stalking on social media of you and your company. Um, and I love what you do. Just having gone to Kenya, um, never did go to Mombasa, but but that's a goal for me in 2021. But um, love the coastal side when I went to Malindi and Watamu. So Jenny, would you tell us a little bit about who you are and then um, hopefully your journey and what brought you to Mombasa? Yeah, I always feel like that's a loaded question. <laughs> it is. It is. It always is. <laughs> I know. Um, let's see. I July will be 11 years that I've been... Um, coming to Kenya, specifically Mombasa. And then I've been here living here for eight. So uh, yeah, so it's kind of I always have to like backtrack in my mind of Oh, yeah, when did we start? Because I just feel like it's weird to say I've been here for a decade now, which is so strange. Um, 
But yeah, so my name is Jenny, and most people know me as the founder of Imani Collective. Um, I also am a mother of two and one on the way, and a wife, and I stay very active and busy just with family. And um, yeah, like I mentioned to Kelsey earlier off the mic that I also have started a business with my mom last year, um, making saddle blankets, which is in partnership with um, Amani Collective. So I wear a lot of different hats, um, but most people know me, um, yeah, as being the founder of Amani Collective and how, gosh, how I got to Kenya. Um, <laughs> it really. First off, let's start off. Where are you from, like originally? Where yeah. are you yeah. born and raised? Yes. So I am originally from San Antonio, Texas. Um, born and raised, never moved, was not like in the military, anything. Texas is where my whole family's at. So that is home for me. Um, I always love a good bowl of chips and queso. That's probably what I miss the most being That's <laughs> awesome. here in Kenya. Um, but yeah, and then my husband, I married an Alaskan. So we, yeah, the, I, I always tell people God had humor in that because he made me marry or not made me, but married someone with a state bigger than Texas. So he, my husband likes to, to rub that in, but yeah, so I'm a proud Texan, but I've been traveling. Um, my first trip to Kenya was when I was 18 and then I moved here when I was 21. So yeah. Oh, so, wow. it's been a so we're going to back up on that. So when born and raised from Texas, you know, in Texas, a lot of people like when you're like in Texas, you stay in Texas. Like it, yeah. it's a pride yeah. and joy of many people. And then, so what did you know you were probably going to live abroad at some point? Was that always in your heart or what happened in your life to where you went to visit Kenya and then all of a sudden here you are three years later moving to Kenya? Yeah, absolutely not. I was a, I was a homebody. I, um, I always had a sense of adventure. Like my family always, you know, I had a, I've always been driven and I, I never was afraid. I would say, um, to think about getting up and leaving Texas, but I loved, I loved where I was at. So I didn't see why, why would I move, you know? So, um, and I never, my whole family, like if we did travel, it would just be within Texas. Right. So we didn't really get out much. Um, and then my biggest turning point when I was 16, my parents got divorced. So that was actually a big part of my story and just, um, just really like, my walk uh, with the Lord and faith and just where I was going and just kind of, I had to grow up really, really fast and um, just, yeah, make decisions that you don't normally have to make when you're 16 years old. And that really shaped, I believe, just who I am now. And I even laugh. I, I laugh and I was like, I wonder what any younger my <laughs> would be if my parents would have stayed together. Because I, I think even my character, my personality were shaped around that of uh, just becoming, I'm an Enneagram eight. So being very like, um, forward and direct and, um, yeah, kind of paving my own way. But so that really shaped me and who I was. And I would say my direction, um, I was really involved with young life in high school, which kind of kept me grounded and I'm thankful for that. And then, uh, I, how I found Kenya was just, uh, miraculous, I would say. I, I had uh, kind of slipped into the back of this really, really big church in um, San Antonio. And I just 
literally was trying to be in and out, you know, I, it, I mean, it was humongous anyway. So thousands of people, but on that bulletin of that Sunday, it, there was like one line, I'm sure a million people missed it. And I don't know what, like why my eyes gravitated towards it, but it was like, if you want to go to Mombasa, Kenya, call this number. And so I called Chris and I had like a two and a half hour conversation and then was like, I'm going to Kenya. And so there was, which is actually quite interesting because I'm very close to Mexico and I still to this day have never been to Mexico. My family has, but I haven't. So my first trip ever out of, out of the States was across the world to Kenya. Oh my gosh, that's crazy, girl. Because yeah, yeah a lot of people kind of warm up and they're like, okay, let's go, you know, internationally and we're just going to go across the border type of thing. But for you, you, I mean, that's a long flight. So just getting to Kenya, I mean, from Hawaii was like halfway across the world. But for, I mean, that's a long flight. So yeah. way to go. And it was just you by yourself. Like there was not a group of girlfriends or it wasn't with your boyfriend at the time. It was just really like some urge in yourself that I need to go to Mombasa. Yeah. Like it was just like, you need to be there. And I had saved up a lot of money. So I always, I always tell people to, who are younger to make sure you sit your parents down and like talk to them about this. Cause it's actually quite important, you know, for y'all's <laughs> relationship. Cause I literally like applied for my passport, got my passport, popped the ticket and said, Hey, mom and dad, I'm going to Kenya. Um, so I did it like all quite opposite and under the radar. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was right after high school at that time. And just, I, it was something, my spirit that was like, I need to be there. So I joined this group, um, for that time. So that, yeah, like I said, that in July, that will be 11 years since, um, since that, but yeah, it was crazy. And, and, and what what you're talking about even travel which is always fascinating to me it you know i can get from kenya to houston within 22 hours now um on certain flights and that was like nearly imp- that was impossible like you know 11 years ago so like you had to just you know even communication like there was no wi-fi back then consistent like when you left the country you left the country for 2 weeks you know you didn't talk to people um like the fact that we get to do this right across the world is fascinating and awesome because <laughs> that just wasn't, it just wasn't possible back then. So, uh, I mean, I think my, to get over my first time was like 46 hours or something, you know, to get to Kenya. Oh so. my gosh. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it's not an easy journey. And I never thought of like, yeah, about 10 years ago, how much different it was traveling. And a phone yeah. call home was like five bucks a minute. And now we can just have an international cell phone plan and, you know, make phone calls or send text messages from anywhere we're in the world. So that's so true about that. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, even within five years, just how much has changed. So it's really cool to, I don't know, just to see the development in that. But yeah, so that was, that's how I ended up my my first trip here. <laughs> And what did you do? I mean, here you are, you you walk into a church and you see a sign, want to go to Mombasa. Obviously, there's a still small voice that I want to talk about later if we have time, because a lot of our listeners are trying to figure out what that still small voice is and how to um, find it and, you know, kind of act accordingly like you did, where you just said, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is where I feel like I'm led to go. Um, But moving in that kind of wanting to just get a little ahead in your story. You go to Mombasa and what do you do your first trip? And then three years later, obviously it's addicting to where you have to move there. 
Yeah, I would say it was definitely progressive because I, some, you know, some people are like, like you mentioned, oh, did you know that you were always going to be overseas or did you know, like I, there's tons, I have a handful of friends here who are like from, you know, birth, I feel like they're like, oh, I'm going to go do this, right? I just have this greater calling and I'm going to go. Um, but for me, it was more so like, it was definitely work in my spirit and, and where I was at. I would say that my trip, um, in 2009 was very like selfish led in a sense. Like there was like this healing I felt like I needed, um, that I needed, you know, and I needed, and I think there was also just this sense of adventure, right. Of being young and like, I haven't gotten to experience what this, what this greater world we're a part of is. Right. So it was more so my first trip was like, I want to go and, um, kind of experience that. Not that I came, you know, with anything that I was like, oh, I'm better than, um, you know, I feel like on service trips or mission trips or things like that, I didn't come with a spirit of like, oh, I'm going to bring something better that they need. Right. That I think that's always a bad attitude to come into with that. But it was more so like, I just want to go and see culture and be a part of something and realize that no matter where we are in the world, like, um, we all relate to each other, right? We're all human. And I think that's what I, I grew from that trip. And actually from that trip, I was like, okay, check off my list. I've stepped foot in another country. I'm done. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. I literally like, people are like, oh, you must've known like your first trip you were going back. And I was like, no, absolutely not. I was like, yes, I've done it and I'm good. Um, <laughs> and then throughout that first year, of college, I just went through a lot of transition as well. And again, it was that still small voice that was like, you need to go back. And so I went back the following year for a month. And I would say that was really my foundational trip. I went back by myself and I worked with the couple who was working in a school there. Um, And at that time, I was helping kind of collect stories of the kids that they were working with in the school, you know, to develop kind of very simple sponsorship profiles for them. And that's when I first met like the core women of Amani Collective where we started because I would go to these homes and I would visit and I would sit down with these families. And I realized that most of the kids that were coming, you know, maybe just looked a little bit more beat up, you know, or just um, a little yeah. bit more rough around the edges were coming from single widow disabled women homes. And at that time, when I look back on my story and just how I've how we've progressed with the Money Collective and and where we're going in, in different aspects. I didn't realize what was happening at that time, but what I was really seeing was like I kept asking the question and kind of in my heart and into in people like, why aren't people paying attention to the women? Right, like everyone pays attention to the kids, but if we're going to create real change, like generational change, why aren't we? paying attention to these women and not that children are insignificant, but especially in cultures like Kenya, children do not have a right to say or speak up to anything until they reach, you know, 18 or older. Right. And they have, and they can, and and they can speak up, but even in like a cultural sense or to their, to their parents or to chiefs in the village, right. They don't have the right to, to, to add, add value till they get a certain age. Right. So not saying like discrediting children's sponsorship or anything like that. Um, but I was like, what about the people when they go home, the people that are influencing them? Right. And so at that time I didn't realize it was so deep or what I was looking at. All I realized is I was like, 
okay, this is great that these kids are getting sponsored, but what about these women and how can we help them? You know, that was my general question. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I just, over the years, I kept coming back and um, developing those relationships until we, um, you know, there's a lot of details <laughs> in between there, but until we launched our program May of 2013 um, with our first 16 women. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the foundation of why I chose those women. And if you ever in Mombasa and you go and you visit our first site, you're like, this is in the middle of nowhere. Like, how did you even find this place? And it's because I was working in the school there. And so that's kind of how I was connected. So I'm, that's my community. That's where I lived for seven months. It's my home. I love the village life. Um, and so that's also, yeah, a really, it has a piece of my heart out there. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I have so many questions. I'm like, where do I begin? <laughs> because I feel like you just went from like zero to 60. You're like, okay. And we started with 16 women and I'm like, okay, I want to know like, how in the world do you get to where you like see this need, you know? And like, you're like, oh my gosh, what about these women? Like, here we are, we're working with the kids. And I love what you said. Like, there's a need for that. And kudos for the folks who feel drawn to that because they're, I love sponsorship, you know, mm -hmm. and I've been sponsoring a girl in the Maasai area uh, for going a little over two years now. And I got to meet her for the first time when I was in Kenya. And oh my gosh, yeah, just awesome. how impactful that is. And just the idea and the need for education. And ex education is expensive. And and so many families can barely put food on the table, much less pay $60 a month to send their kids to school. Um, but I love the fact that you and your heart was to see a need for these women. And so going there, it sounds like you you know lived there for a month and then all of a sudden seven months. <laughs> and now here you are full time. I'm like, okay, so how did that progress in terms of just staying longer and longer? And then Piecing these 16 original women, are you were you like looking for need and then decided to mold a business because you saw a need for these women to make a fair income? Or did you see a skill that they had and was like, hey, I think I could help you market your product because you have such a beautiful skill? Can you kind of help me understand how that <laughs> started? How did you get to 16 women? <laughs> Yeah, no, I love this question because I actually do some like coaching on the side and I like do it all opposite than what I did because I'm like, my story so funny. is really <laughs> cool, but for you to succeed, don't follow my story. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, so, and we'll probably get into it later. Yeah, like, great. My heartbeat is um, fair trade and more so ethical and sustainability. When I first started, I wasn't thinking of really like, okay, I'm going to start a business. How are we going to make it sustainable? How are we going to market? Like, I didn't think of any, <laughs> any of that. I was pretty young and naive, um, <laughs> and just driven, which I think there's parts of me that looks back and, and I was like, I'm actually kind of really glad I was not so intentional in thinking of all these details because I think it might have scared me away logistically because when you start something, any business, whether you're like just local or, you know, especially international, like there's so much logistics that, you know, can just scare you from even starting. Right. So, so I think true. And do you have a business background? Like, is that what you went to school for? Or are you like doing something that you don't even have like necessarily the quote education? I'm, I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. For? 
No, I my <laughs> no my background is leadership development, and then my master master's is in leadership communication. So I don't have yeah, like I didn't go like and get an MBA or anything like that. I've just learned all by experience, and then um, you know coaching and really good friends I would say <laughs> that have kind of walked side by side with me. But um, yeah, I'll start with the sixteen women. So I in twenty twelve. Uh, we came, I came over for three and a half months at that time. And during that time, I had, I had kind of like an inkling, like, okay, you know, over these years, we've developed these relationships. I, we kept questioning, um, you know, what can we do for the women? Uh, these women, you know, are in the middle of nowhere. And in most, if anyone has been overseas or works overseas, then they know that most of the time there's they're like for our women they were walking miles and miles to sell mangoes in a saturated market to get maybe 10 cents for them you know like that kind of concept to to go back home and do it all over again and that market is saturated with the same fruits and who knows if you're going to even sell anything right so that's that's most situations i feel like um whether I've traveled a lot. So whether you're in Peru or Haiti or Costa Rica, you're, you experience that all around and, and kind of the same cultural tendis, tendencies. But uh, so my my whole hope was if I'm going to come in, I want to make sure they want it, like the village wants it and that they're kind of you know ready for that. And so I originally in 2012 had met with the chief of the village and I sat down with him and kind of was like, okay, if we if I were to bring some type of women's program at this time, I had no plan. Like I'm sitting in front of this guy. I had no plan. <laughs> and I also didn't want to like over promise. Um, it's kind of hard to do that. Cause even when you bring up an idea or a dream, like they're automatically going to think you're going to do it. Right. So, but I tried to be really careful with my words, but basically I was just like, I really want to, potentially bring something here, but I, but would you allow your women to work? Like, is that okay? Cause at the same time, I didn't want to, yes, I want to empower women, but I also want to respect the culture and the tribe and, and, and where we're stepping into. So they were really excited. Um, and I was like, okay, um, well, and so then that three months, what I did is I actually just for like, Twice a week, we met with, we invited anyone. We said anyone in the village, like anyone, any women in the village can come and we're just going to teach. I had a group of interns too at that time. We had about five of us. So I was like, we're just going to teach random things. Like it literally was random. So we would make it up kind of as we go. So some weeks it would be, okay, just simply making, right, like paper beads. Another thing would be making... Um, teaching them how to crochet. Another week would be teaching them how to knit. Um, just anything that we could. Did you use. have all these? What? Sorry, I'm going to interrupt. Did you have these skills in your tool belt? Like, did you know how to do this? Are you learning for the first time along with these women how to crochet and make paper beads? Um, I knew like paper beads and I knew crocheting at that time. And then I we had someone on our team, Jade, she knew how to knit. And so also, you know, just the other interns that I had kind of recruited for this trip, they had little skills, right? So, um, yeah. So, and then I, you know, learned with them, but yeah. And most of the time we would like work on maybe a skill several times, you know, and they just would pick up on their project. 
Um, but it really was very simple. It was like twice a week. And during that time, it was after school hours because we used the school facility. Um, and so it was only two to three hours. So I say all that because in the beginning of the beginning, I think it was like May or June of that year, we started with about a little over 60 women that started to come. And we obviously were not paying them. We're like literally like come hang out with us. So, you know, there's no really like real intention for them to be there of just like wanting to learn, right? Um, Out of their free will, I guess. So, and by the end of the three and a half months, I had 16 women who consistently came and were sitting in front of me. And so I sat in front of them and before we left and I said, okay, next time you see me, I actually even like printed out little cute contracts and was like, I promise you, like, if I come back and you see me in your village again, like, I'm going to start something and you're going to be the first women who get to be invited into it. And so they like signed it. And so that's how I got my or developed my 16 women. And I remember so vividly because even, okay, it was a process to even get back. But to even get back, I just remember walking into the village and like walking onto like, I think it was Christine's compound and like she saw me and just started running towards me with joy because she just like knew they had way more hope and faith in me than I did in myself. <laughs> like They were like, Aww. yes, you know, this is something amazing is going to happen. And at that time, you know, not that I doubted what I, the ideas I had in my head. But like, now that I look back, the reason we are still here today is because those women had an extreme amount of hope in their eyes and just an extreme amount of faith in where we would be going. And they, that's why I call them the pioneers of like Kamani Collective, because they truly um, are the foundation of, of who we are today. And just this beautiful community. Um, but yeah, so that that's how the 16 women came about. And I didn't start as like, I'm coming and starting a business. In fact, I said, I'm coming and I'm just going to be here. This is what's funny about it. I'm just going to be here for seven months. And then I'm going back to my life in America. This is why I said it took me years before I was like, oh, yeah, I'm moving Yeah, it here. sounds like it. Um, yeah, I'm going to be here for seven months and I'm going to my my life back in America. And all I'm doing is teaching them how to sew and kind of doing like a training And for anyone from Texas, this is a very big deal, but I, and obviously my, I was preparing, I sold everything. So who sells everything for seven months? I don't know. But in my mind, I was coming back, but I had already sold everything and including my beautiful avalanche truck. It was amazing. Oh no. (laughs) Then you know you're serious. Yeah. Um, I think my dad... I don't know how he still feels about that one, but I always tell him, you know, by because that was a gift from him. But I'm like, you know, by selling that truck that bought the first 16 Singer sewing machines, it like provided for the whole program. Like that truck started a collective financially. That's what I was going to ask you. I'm like, how did you get the capital? So it's yeah. literally the selling of everything that got yeah. you the equipment that you needed. Yeah. I left like two boxes, I think, at my mom's house at that time and left. And um, within the first month that I landed in Kenya, I decided I'm going to do this full time. And so that's why I say I moved in 2013. Um, 
but that was not the original plan a month before I moved. <laughs> but that's when I officially made it um, full time. And, and then I met my husband that year too, which kind of sealed the deal. So yeah. <laughs> did you meet your husband in Kenya or were you guys Texas or? Nope. I met him in Mombasa. He was doing his, he had already been there for three years doing his own project. He works with street youth here and does drug rehabilitation and discipleship and stuff. And so, yeah, I met him here. So Texan meets Alaskan in Kenya and the rest is history. That's so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. I cannot wait to meet you guys first off, but I love your story and I love the fact that like for you to be so sold into your dream and your idea and these women um to sell everything. I think that's huge. And then I love the idea because as we have, you know, started and created the Talking Story podcast, I've been talking to people from all over the world. There has been a theme and you you're on it as well and creating this community of women. You know, you're going in not with this I'm going to start a business and here's what we're doing and but you're going in and you have this dream, but you're like, okay, I just want to come in and start teaching women things. You know, we talked with a Jenny McGee who started Starfish Project in mm. Southeast Asia and, and she went in to, te to teach English to these women. That's the need. And that's how she built the relationship. And, you know, then seeing the hope and the idea that these women belonged, you know, you really yeah. create this uh, community for these women to belong. And then and then they believe in your vision, in your dream. And in fact, I'm sure because you're going to teach me and our listeners the idea of, you know, we, we throw this term out, fair trade. But I'm also seeing that Amani Collective is providing a new opportunity for the women in which you employ. So would you be able to kind of maybe... I'm going to say educate because I love our initial conversation because you're like, I'm going to challenge you in this idea of fair trade. And I'm like, bring it. So bring it to me. Bring it to our listeners, Jenny. Like, we want to know what is fair trade. And, you know, as we're sourcing products or buying products from places like, you know, in the Western world, Walmart, Target, all of that, we go in with these, okay, bargain mindsets. I want to save a few dollars. But what we're trying to really communicate via the podcast is like, our buying habits are either empowering or enslaving people. And I'm learning myself on what that ex exactly means and entails. So yeah, please start, start bringing it, Jenny. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I think, I think anyone who is socially conscious of what they're buying, I think from there, that's great. Right. Um, I am a Target lover by heart, so this is always a very yep. actually challenging conversation for myself because that's Target is one of like the first stops I make when I hit the ground in America. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, Target, awesome. Um, so I am one of those like moms that's still looking for affordability, but still also you know wants socially good and socially conscious and um, wants to be. A little bit more mindful of purchases as well, right? So I fit that status quo as I have a four-year-old and two-year-old and soon-to-be newborn. So I understand the hustle of that. Um, but I, I do want to challenge people in the fair trade versus ethical. So Amani Collective is not FTF certified. We're not Fair Trade Federation certified. Um, that is... Um, that is, I mean, we could, we could apply again and, and do it, but that's kind of by choice. 
And so we lose some customers in that. Um, but if you were to actually explore all that we do, um, um, we're, we're more than that. Right. So for me, I'm, I'm not necessarily, I think certifications are great. And I think as a money collective, we, we probably need to have a bit more. So, um, we're not, um, <laughs> ignored in this, in this field, but, um, I also don't, I think they're, you know, they're just a beautiful label as well. When we know what our heartbeat is of our organization and our, our company. And, so to, to give you a little bit of difference in, in how I feel about it, but um, Amani Collective, yeah, we started with 16 women. We now um, employ a little over 100 artisans and staff in the coastal region of Mombasa. So we've grown exponentially in the last seven years. Um, and in fact, actually, our intern the other day was pointing this out. When she arrived five months ago at Amani Collective, we only had 54 artisans. So that gives you an idea of how much we've just grown in like four months, um, four or five months. That's so <clears throat> yeah, it's been, it's been pretty crazy. And we're actually about to move workshops and, um, it, yeah, expand a bit. Um, but anyways, all of that to say, I think fair trade is beautiful. Be on a, on a minimal level, because you know that where, if it is fair trade certified and whatever you're buying, you know, that your artisan got fair wages for that, which is, which is great. And which is amazing. And I don't, um, downplay that at all. Um, the difference between fair trade and ethical, um, is a I say ethical is not just a couple steps, but a lot of steps above fair trade because it's it's actually caring for the whole being of the artisan or the woman, you know, the woman, the man, the artisan, whoever made that product. Um, and so I will give you a bit of perspective. So at Amani Collective, um, for my philosophy, I don't pay piecework. A lot of people do that. Um, even in, if you're looking at, I'm not going to name organizations, but if you're looking at a lot of um, ethical fair trade organizations across the board that we all love and adore. Most of them are still just paying per piece for product, which is um, totally okay and probably works with their model. For me, when I went in, my biggest desire for my women was to not just survive, but was to thrive. And I believe consistency of wages is one of the first steps to do that because uh, if they are trying to live off like my sales, right? And I don't bring in those sales that month. That means they're not getting paid, you know? So maybe one month they're getting paid $5, the reality is. And then the next month they're getting paid, I don't know, like a um, couple hundred dollars or whatever that looks like. And for me, that was, that one went from the very beginning from 2013 when we opened our doors. I was like, I do not want to do that. I want to make sure that wages come in um, consistently so that we can start teaching them how to plan for their kids' education, how to financially save financial responsibility, and that they can grow in their self-efficacy with that. And I just want them um, to be better all around. And I don't want one month that they're struggling, and then the next month they have a lot of influx of cash coming in, and they don't use it responsibly because they were never taught that. So that's kind of that's kind of where um, we we come at it. But when you're looking at ethical, it's and a lot of organizations do this. So a lot of organizations that do pay piecework are very ethical and they do a really good job at this. Um, um, just like we do, is 
they're caring about everything. They're caring about not just fair wages. They're caring about their work environment. They're caring about their kids. They're caring about their health care. They're caring about literacy classes. You know, they're giving them so many different holistic programs and care that is truly building up that person. And when a lot of companies, um, and what I found out when we first entered New York in 2016, it was a big eye-opener for me. But what I realized is a lot of companies didn't necessarily know their artisan. They knew it was like, oh, from this co-op in Guatemala or this co-op in Nepal. And, um, which is again, fine. (laughs) Um, but I remember going up to booths, like booth after booth of like, Oh, who made this product? And they'd be like, yeah, artisans in this region. And I'm like, yeah, but who made this product? And all I wanted to hear was a name and a story because we were so, we're so connected, you know, to our women and they're our family. And I just wanted to hear, I wanted to hear that. And I didn't realize that we were kind of unique in that. Um, in the fact that we're not just sourcing, and then never coming back, if that makes sense. So, so with fair trade, um, it's beautiful because yes, that transaction is fair um, for that country's wages, and they are paying above minimum wage. Um, but the reality is, is that artisan may never see that customer again. You know, so um, they might get this really great influx of cash and get this really great business. But if they're not taught the other skills of how do I save or how am I financially responsible, that cash is probably going to go very quickly, Um, especially with um, most places we're sourcing from, right, Um, um, are really communal. So if all of a sudden someone gets a lot of cash, they're probably going to share it with their whole community. And within a week, that cash is gone. And so, you know, so how... And then the reality is, is if they don't make a contract or that partnership isn't consistent, um, they might not have that again, right? So um, those are the two differences. I could go a lot into detail. I love it. I'm I'm processing probably along with our listener right now, just because I'm hearing this for the first time and I'm like, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. Like, you know, where you have, okay, fair trade, yeah, you pay a good wage. Um, but the fact that the education part of it, of how to use that money comes into play. Otherwise, like you said, and I saw it firsthand when I was in Kenya and experienced it where people would say like, oh, they would get a good, you know, sale or, um, you know, brought in a lot of money, like you said, within a month, because there was a lot of product going out and all of a sudden, instead of saving, they're using that product to, oh, now I can go give it to my auntie and my uncle. And then by the end of the month, they're back to zero. And I think that is so cool of you guys that you take it as a holistic approach and say, hey, we want to teach these women um, how to utilize this money and use it for the long haul. And like you said, save for educational bills and food for the family and all of that. So uh, kudos to you guys. I just absolutely love that. Um, You know, when you met the original 16 women, could you explain a little bit about like kind of what their life was like? before Amani Collective came in and now with your holistic approach of it's almost salary you're paying them a salary versus mm-hmm. paying them hourly or per product and yeah. I mean I think of even the business that I help manage here in Hawaii um, you know we pay hourly but it's it's a tough thing for even our gals to make 
sometimes ends meet. So I'm being inspired as I'm listening to this right now of even how to implement what you're saying in this business that I work with full-time in Hawaii. But anyways, all that to say, (laughs) could you just give us an idea of the before and after of one of the women, you know, you said you have names, obviously, you guys are close and you don't maybe have to say the name unless you want to on the podcast, but just, yeah, now that Amani Collective has been there seven years, what does her life look like? Oh, yeah. Um... (laughs) Man, I could name a lot of them. Um, so, like, for instance, one of our first 16 women, Lena, like, Lena and Irene are, like, they're now our production assistants now. Um, but I look back when they first started because this is really hard to do. And when I when I give, like, to do monthly salary in this type of business and um, when I give people some coaching or advice, like, I'm like, you do you and find what works for you because it might you might have to build up to that, right? It might not be something that you can do right away. And we were, you know, blessed with people who came around us, but there were still months that like were really hard. So I originally had like our women only working very, very part-time. And at that time we were being paying like very, like very base minimum wage. I think, I think they were getting, when we look back at like old ledgers or budget. I think I was paying them like 30 bucks like a month, which is like nothing. And they weren't working full time by any means, but it was like a very small stipend, but it was consistent. Right. So it's like, this is what I'm going to ask of you. It's going to be very little. And you're at least, you at least know 3000 shillings is coming in each month, you know, like it. So it was something that started with the consistency of mindset there. And I will let you know, it was like, even that at that time was like, really hard for us because we were a training program. We weren't a business by any means then. So um, just to consistently give that to them. And there would be even people, it's funny now. And I think, you know, the women in the village are kind of kicking themselves, but there, I mean, there, there are women that would kind of mock them for like, why are you even in this program? This is going to go nowhere. And that's where I say they just had this like, faith and this hope that like, no, they believed that, that we would get somewhere and we were going somewhere way before I even knew that. Right. So, and they were kind of fighting adversity of people being like, this makes no sense what this girl's trying to do. (laughs) And they were like, but they trusted me, which is amazing. So, um, yeah. So when you look at Lena, like Lena's a perfect example, who's now one of our production assistants and who has, want to say seven, six or seven children. I'm, I always get Lena and Irene mixed up. Um, and yeah. And now, you know, all of her kids are in school and she's, she's planning for their, their education. But one, one thing that's really cool with her story is we implemented a dream development program in our, in Adamani collective a little over two years ago. And it's optional for our women to be in, but so she, came to Famita. Famita is our holistic director. And she sat down with me and Famita. And all she wanted was to save for a couple of mattresses because her kids were all sharing like the same mattress or sleeping on a mat and which is common um, in the village. But she just wanted her kids to have their own mattress. And I remember just like celebrating, you know, we set out a plan. It, it's not that expensive, but how she could save you know, progressively month to month with her salary and get it, which only took a couple months, right? And then it was just such a big accomplishment for her to get 
a mattress. And now when you look at her dreams, like three years later to two and a half years later, it's like, oh, I want to buy more land or I want to start this side business. You know, like that when you have women who are consistently loved and cared for, and again, are able to provide for their family and they're not just on the basic level of needs of like, how am I going to get a meal? You know, and they're, they're able to think beyond that. It's crazy how they grow in their self-confidence and they start to dream and dreaming becomes a possibility when dreaming was like, what, what is, what is that? Right. So we, uh, you know, you have to kind of teach them how to dream and that, Hey, you're capable of doing this and a visioning of what you could have or what could be, you know? So that's one of my, one of our favorite programs that we do here. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. That sounds like such a fabulous program. Real quick for our listeners, because sometimes when you say you pay someone $30 a month, mm, um, yeah. y- you know, people are like, oh my gosh, how is that even still fair wage? <laughs> like that. It really is pennies when you think of it from the Western mindset. Uh, but cost of living is much lower. And I can only, I you know, haven't been to Mombasa. Yeah, I know and, you guys are kind of a big and at, hub. And at that time too, $30 was, I mean, I, like I said, I was paying them to work like twice a week. And um, an average wage in Kenya is about $5 a day. Um, and that's like minimum wage. And depending on the trainee level versus like skilled artisan, I mean, we have anywhere, you know, between I mean, everyone's paid on a, a bit of a different level and different scale. But um, we also, on top of their base salaries, we they're able to we give monthly we give monthly bonuses for like perfect attendance and most spirited and like um, most improved in their skills. So they get monthly cash bonuses as well as they we do weekly bonuses based on production and quality control of our products. So. Um, most of our women can make even more beyond that, um, because they're meeting their production goals and they're getting weekly bonuses on top of monthly bonuses on top of that. So, um, we also pay for their healthcare and we pay for retirement. And so they get a lot of benefits. So that's kind of our whole, and like I said, that 30, that $30 was seven years ago and they weren't working full time. So (laughs) a lot, very, very different, um, than what they what they are in now. So, yeah. That's that's awesome. But yeah, no, I love that and um just for the listener who hasn't tra- traveled out of the country um for them to kind of have that perspective. But what I do love and again, I think it's so important as Moy Moy, uh, which is the business that I have founded, um as we pursue brands and people who are making beautiful quality product, but it's really looking into the reason why they're in business. And for us, that's really important to see that community aspect being met, that you're not just going in and seeing, okay, well, here's a community in which we can employ um, cheaper labor and we can make products in which we can take back and sell you know, in America or whatever, is we're really looking for brands who are like, no, we've lived within this community. These are our friends. You know, we've seen this need. They got to, you know, send their six, seven children to school. And now we're going to be hands on and teaching them how to utilize the money in which they're making. We're going to, like you said, provide health insurance. We're going to be their family. We're going to, I love the aspect of being a salaried versus product per product base. So yeah, Jenny, I just really appreciate that about Amani Collective. And I hope 
uh, listeners, there's you know always three things that we would love for our listener to take away with is one, we'd love for them to purchase your product because we understand that anytime we purchase products that come from brands such as Amani Collective, that we are being participants in helping these women achieve a better life. Um, but two, also understanding that maybe a listener is coming and going, man, I want to start a business similar to Amani Collective. And so they're listening to you and understanding the importance of salary-based and holistic approach and all of that. So we really appreciate you sharing that. Um, just a couple questions because, my gosh, we're almost out of time. But you mentioned you're a mom and expecting a third. So congratulations. But I've always wondered, like, you know, I've traveled and usually I stay maybe a month at a time in locations, but I've never stayed longer than a month. And here you are now living in Mombasa. And that's intriguing to me. How, how has it been going from living in Texas, traveling there, you know, living there a month, okay, three months, okay, seven months to now full time? Have you just adapted well? Have there been challenges along the way? And then now raising three kiddos or soon to be three kiddos? Yeah, I think, you know, I, Gosh, I think it really depends on how you make it. Um, <laughs> and every day can be challenging. Um, you know, as much as I would say my community is my community, I'm I'm still a foreigner, you know, in paperwork and in the government's eyes, right? And and things like that. But I, you know, days in Mombasa, it, okay, so Mombasa alone is really, really hot. <laughs> so that alone physically is really hard, um, on some days, but as far as culture goes, I think you, you have to find your balance. So it, or you will get burned out. Right. So if you can feel that the littlest things are overwhelming you and that's happening more often than it should be, then, then that's the time that it's like, okay, I need to take a step back. I need to take a deep breath. Maybe I need to take a couple of days off, right? Um, or reevaluate what is triggering why, you know, maybe I'm getting frustrated or upset. Um, because, you know, even the littlest things, right? We're used to organization on the road. That does not happen here, right? We're used to, yeah. um, you know, fair prices. And just because of my skin color, I get charged three times and I have to barter and work harder, right? So it's just like those little tendencies can, um, can get frustrating. I, I think now being here for so long, it's just part of life. So I don't really even see it that way anymore. But I would say just figuring out my balance has been the biggest thing. And then the beautiful part about raising kids here is um, just being immersed in such a rich culture. And I, at first I thought, you know, man, I'm, I'm stealing away like this childhood that I had, right. That they're not going to get to experience. And, and then I realized, well, that's again, so naive of me because they just have such this rich experience and love for people and love for cultures already at such a young age. Right. And no Swahili and no English and, um, get to be raised in a community that is just so um, endearing. And so, and at the same time with what my husband does, I'm a mom to like 30, boys. Um, I shouldn't say like, I am like a mom to them. And so he, you know, he works with street boys and we house 22 boys currently, and we have some in university and our youngest is 10 and our oldest is about 25. So we, yeah, we're really busy doing that. And, you know, and so my kids also have 
a lot of older brothers that just love them and play with them and adore them. So um, for me, it's been um, it's been a blessing. I feel like when we're traveling in the states, sometimes it's hard because we're we're away from our community and here, and our community is so helpful here. <laughs> you know, when I'm like, oh yeah, t- take the kids; they want to go on an adventure. You know, play with them, and <laughs> it gives me a bit of bit of a mom break sometimes. But um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. Is it hard? Absolutely, but um, it's worth. Um, worth it. Um, I feel like I surprise a lot of people too. On a side note, when they're like, "Oh, where are you based?" when when they want to hop on the call with the founder of Money Collective, I'm like, "Oh, I'm in Kenya," and they're like, "Wait, what? You're there full time?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, this is where I'm at." <laughs> oh, cool. Um, yeah, so I do it a little bit backwards and have to call in, you know, to our Dallas team and stuff like that. But um, I love being side by side and and being here. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I love it. And we just really appreciate your time. I think we're going to need to do a part two with you, Jenny, because there's still so many questions that I have. (laughs) Um, But for time's sake, we are going to need to uh, conclude with this last question. And that is how people can connect with you. Obviously, I know social media is huge. So we'd love to know where we can find you there. But also, um, again, in my stalking Uh, you on social media, I did find, and you alluded to in the interview, internships. And so if there's someone who was listening, that's like, oh my gosh, I could see myself in Mombasa helping Amani Collective. How do I sign up? So if you can kind of give our listener an idea of where they can find you and how to connect with you. Yeah. So thanks for bearing with us. I know this is probably maybe longer than your normal interview. So (laughs) sorry about that. No, I love it. Um, (laughs) People get lost in washing dishes or maybe they're running extra now on the treadmill. So just keep going. Keep going. Okay, good. Um, To get connected with us. Yeah. So obviously you can find us on Instagram at Imani Collective. Um, It's beautifully laid out there. Our girls in Dallas make it look beautiful. So they do awesome. So you can find us there. Um, we, yeah, you can find us on our website, um, amanicollective.com on there. If you click get involved, there's some volunteer kind of contact forms, internships. We also run Amani experience trips. So if you ever want to come sit by side by side with artisans, learn how to weave or different things like, um, different things like that, you can do that. And so we do trips like that throughout the year. Um, and we're planning, I don't know when it is this year, but anyways, you can look on there. Um, so we have people organizing that you can also, we are an NGO as well. So you can, um, 501c3, you can donate to our program. So there's a giveaway, there's a give button there that you can give specifically to any of our holistic programs. If that's just on your heart and you want to do that as well, you can always reach out to me at Jenny Nuccio at my handle. And I do more the personal side of Amani Collective and kind of my day-to-day and what what I do. So if you're interested in following that, because it's very different than our Amani Collective feed. Um, but yeah, um, we're also in a lot of markets. Like we're going to be this, um, you know, in this spring, we're in Spring of the Silos. We're normally in Celebration, Magnolia, and you can find us online and we're kind of all over. So um, yeah, just reach out. Don't be afraid if you... Yeah, want to intern with us. We always, what I love to do is hop on the phone and hear people's heart and then figure out how um, you can best fit with us. So I don't normally have a job description in line. It's just, you know, what are your desires? And then we can kind of see where, if that aligns and where it fits at Amani. 
Oh, so cool, Jenny. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your heart, what you're doing at Amani Collective, and really just sharing with us today um, on how we can be a part of making a difference in other people's lives. And it can be, like we alluded to earlier, that's so simple just in how we purchase products. It can be actually traveling and working firsthand, and it could be establishing the same principles in which you shared and maybe starting something that's been on our heart for many, many years. So thank you for paving the way for many of us, whether it's uh, um, for us women. And I love the fact that you shared a little bit about being a mom because we have a a lot of listeners who are moms and they are trying to wrestle with the idea that there's things on their heart in which they want to pursue, but there's also these kiddos that are in desperate need of them and, you know, being mom. And so the struggle is real. And so I just love the fact that you've tapped into that. And I think that's something that maybe in a future podcast, we can explore uh, more with you. But for now, uh, we're going to let you you go because I know you're, ha- you're a busy lady. But thanks again for joining us today on the Talking Story podcast. So it all started with an avalanche truck. <laughs> and selling our our uh, treasure to help fund our dream. I mean, this girl's from Texas. And I, I don't know too many Texans that are willing to sell their trucks. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I've never, I'm not a Texan, but I have been friends with Texans. And, you know, they're, they're proud and they are Texans and there's trucks. And, but, you know, Jenny, when she traveled to Kenya for the first time, Something stirred in her heart. Obviously, she felt there was a need for her to do something about the things that she was seeing, poverty, uh, people unemployed, people not able to just send their kids to schools, just some of the basic things that we take for granted being in America. And so she decided to move and start a business. And I just think it's really cool how she started this business. Um, Really, she created a place for women to come practice uh, sewing and different skills. But what I really saw, and especially in talking with Jenny, was she created a space for these women in Mombasa, Kenya to belong. And then when she kind of found 13 dedicated souls, that's when she felt, okay, it's time for me to launch a business. And that's what created Amani Collective. And now Amani Collective is doing amazing things, selling products worldwide. And their emphasis is in household. And I'm really drawn to their throws or their blankets. Um, We're working with them right now to produce something for us in the fall. So stay tuned to that. And there's going to be actually a a second part two um, podcast with Jenny. We it was literally the first time. I mean, we've talked a little bit about scheduling this podcast and we had a quick like 15 minute phone call. It's hard to schedule interviews when you live on the opposite side of the world. Yep. So her, my eight o'clock in the morning was her 9 p.m. And by the way, that's the time we are 
interviewing is is this late night for her. She's already had a full day. She's a mom. She's put her kids to bed and I'm like, hey, want to do a podcast? And she's like, no, hours. I want to go to sleep. <laughs> that would have been me. I'm like, no way. And here she is. She's like, yeah. And two hours later, we're just still talking. And I finally am like, oh my gosh, I forgot. Like it's almost 11 o'clock your time. So we didn't want to make a two hour podcast today. So we're going to break it up into two different parts. But at least you all got to meet Jenny. And just see how awesome of a person that she is. Absolutely awesome person. And, uh, and so we're, we're so grateful that uh, she would take the time uh, to break away from the Moxie podcast to be part of the Talking Story podcast. And again, an ordinary person making an extraordinary difference in Kenya. And really, when you think of how the products will go around the world, uh, it'll be well beyond the borders of that African nation. So share it. Um, make sure you uh, subscribe. Uh, post it on your social media. Let other people know. And uh, and if you don't mind, if it's if it's of interest, those blankets when they become available in the fall of 2020. Yeah. Might even uh, make a little purchase through moimoy.com. They'll so, be great Christmas presents. Yeah, but absolutely. I- I know we're trying to wrap things up and here I'm going to start something new, but um, real quick, what I really appreciated about her interview, I mean, so many things I appreciated, but I loved the fact that she was real with me because when we had talked our initial 15 minutes, she's like, are you ready to be challenged on the concept of fair trade? (laughs) Bring it, lady. I'm ready to be challenged. Like, bring it. And she did. She brought it. And I know you guys all heard it. But I think whether you are a consumer, whether you run a business, uh, whether you're thinking about running a business. I think what Jenny shared with us today about potentially paying your employees on a salary basis, because really, if you, and I mean, I I was convicted even in kind of the company um, in which I help run here on the big island. We have a very different company. We're very tourist-based, but kind of the concept that it ebbs and flows. We have really good months and we have really slow months. And the idea that it's hard for people to plan and to stabilize a life when it's kind of this constant, like, if I'm, am I going to make money this month? Am I not? And it's hard for a business. I, I, I see it both ways. It's hard for a business to bring in employees when they're not sure what products are being sold. So it's kind of a faith step of going, okay, I really want to keep these employees. I want to better our employees. Uh, There's there's an idea of um, paying a salary. So that way people can plan. They can, you know, for example, in Mombasa, Kenya, women need to plan to save so they can send their children to school. They can't just go month to month and go, do I have $60 to send my kid this month? And I love the fact that Jenny recognized that and saw that in order for these women to really gain momentum and a hope and a future that they needed to receive stable income. And so Jenny met that need and I respect that. And it really spoke to me and it really started to convict me in my own life. So I hope for you too, that maybe wherever you're at, there's um, just some thoughts there and maybe things that you can implement in your own life if you're a business owner. Um, also, this is a super side note, but we're going to go back to the very beginning of the podcast where my dad mentioned that he was a runner and he wasn't ringing his own bell, but he is because we're both Enneagram threes. And if you're not an Enneagram follower, you have no idea what an 
Enneagram is. Well, Jenny alluded to an Enneagram as well in her interview. And this is just a little takeaway for you guys because, you know, sometimes it's the application of what do I do next? Um, But if it's just as simple as my encouragement to you would be to go online and take the Enneagram test. It's kind of a personality test. It's kind of maybe the latest and greatest of the personality test. But I think it's a, a very cool thing because, you know, again, my dad and myself are Enneagram threes, which means that sometimes we do ring our bell, not on purpose, but that's just, we're achievers. We like to do things. Um, but there's healthy Enneagram threes and there's unhealthy Enneagram threes. And when you start to learn more about yourself, and Jenny talks a lot about her being an Enneagram eight, and she recognizes her strengths and her weaknesses. And there's nothing wrong at all with anything about your personality, but there's things that you can do to understand your person personality better and to really thrive in it. And there's also warning signs of recognitions where you can be a little weak in and not recognize that you could be hurting someone because of maybe an insecurity in your personality. So I just sh- share that because I just thought that was an interesting thing that not all of our listeners are familiar with the new Enneagram, but I have just been obsessed with it and have applied it with anyone that I have really comes in contact with me <laughs> from family to coworkers to now Moi Moi interns, like everyone in my life takes the Enneagram test because it also helps you kind of understand if you're an Enneagram three and you're working with an Enneagram seven, you know, where some friction points may be and how to overcome those. So I just think it's a really cool tool out there. So if you just walk away with like, what was Jenny talking about with this Enneagram? Um, Check it out. Just Google it. There's a quick Enneagram test. And it just kind of, again, helps you understand a little bit more about who you are. So that's it. I know you were trying to wrap things up earlier, and I just needed to reopen some things. But folks, we do really appreciate you joining in once again to the Talking Story podcast. And we'll see you next Monday. Thanks for joining us today on the Talking Story Podcast. We hope you feel encouraged and inspired. Be sure to visit our show notes for more information and find us on social media at the Talking Story Podcast. Your hosts, Bob and Kelsey, want to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Oh, and big mahalo to our sponsor of today's podcast, Moi Moi Market, a one-stop shop to purchase products with purpose. We truly believe you have it in you to change the world too and to make an amazing difference in the lives of others.